This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cubs win. Cubs win. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Bases loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Just listening to those highlights, you ever notice how Jason Benetti sounds exactly like Sean McDonough? Unbelievable. Welcome on in, Fred Hubner with you on a uh, conference championship Sunday. We will definitely get into some football talk throughout the course of the show. We'll also have Arthur Arkishan from Pro Football Weekly on with us. He will join us in the 11 o'clock hour, and we will talk the other kind of football. That's right, a little bit of soccer talk. The MLS had their draft earlier this week, and uh, the Chicago Fire and general manager Nelson Rodriguez was very, very busy. We will talk with Paul Tenorio, my uh, partner on the couch at the Chicago Fire Weekly this past year. Also, you saw him on the sidelines with uh, Frank Lopez and Dan Kelly on the Chicago Fire broadcast. He'll join us around 10.30. we got lots of stuff to talk about. We're going to definitely talk baseball because if I'm sitting here doing the show, we're going to talk baseball, and it's a weird time in baseball right now. Ken Rosenthal with a nice article on The Athletic talking about pace of play and the lack of free agent signings. We'll get into all that, but Conference Championship Sunday, Jacksonville, New England, Minnesota, and Philadelphia. I told Black and Abdallah as they were leaving the studio after the reports that Tom Brady entered the stadium Gillette Stadium with his hand, his right hand in his pocket. I was going to try and do the entire show with my hand in my pocket, but that would look weird. And it's hard for me to hit the mouse because I don't, I'm not a left-handed mouse guy. I'm a right-handed mouse guy. So I got to keep my right hand on the mouse and click Twitter. You can tweet me at Fred underscore Hubner. That's H-U-E-B-N-E-R. You can also call it 312-332-3776. Let's get into some football first, and then we're going to get into some baseball conversations. Your calls are always welcome. At around 930, you want to stick around. John Heyman, Fan Rag Sports. You also see him on the NFL Network. He had an article said, Harper to the Cubs, hardly a sure thing. We'll talk about that at 9.30. But first, let's get into the two games coming up today. A 2.05 start at Gillette Stadium, as it'll be the Jaguars taking on Tom Brady and the Patriots. And in case you missed it, Brady did get those stitches earlier this week in his uh, right hand around the thumb area after a handoff exchange with Rex Burkhead. Brady injured during the handoff on Wednesday. He did not suffer any ligament damage, bone breaks, or dislocated fingers, according to sources. Sources also have told Adam Schefter and ESPN's Diana Rossini that Brady will definitely start today the AFC Championship game against the Jaguars. Did anybody have any doubt? Okay, if if he lost his thumb, he probably would not have played. But other than losing your thumb, there was no doubt that Tom Brady was going to be there at quarterback today for the New England Patriots. So an injury that's a, that I think is going to have some effect, and it's not in this game, it's in the second game, the Philadelphia and Minnesota game, and that's Adam Thielen. Thielen was amazing this year. 91 catches, 1,276 yards, a second-team All-Pro, 
And he did not practice earlier in the week because of a back injury. He didn't practice Wednesday and Thursday, and I think he was limited on Friday. Now, they say, who is they? Well, ESPN's Adam Schefter says Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen is expected to play. Uh, we'll wait and see. But a wide receiver with a lower back problem, that doesn't sound good because going over the middle one time, getting hit, and that could be tough, and it could be difficult for Case Keenum and the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, I'm looking forward to a couple of really good games today. And you talk about the Chicago Bears, and they're in a situation where they have five wins, and people say, well, you know, they're the worst team in the division. Well, if you look, two of the teams that are in the playoffs, in the championship games today, went from last in the division to be to playing on conference championship Sunday. The Jacksonville Jaguars were 3-13 and last year. They were bottom of the AFC South, while the Philadelphia Eagles, 7-9, and they were at the bottom with that 7-9 and record of the NFC East. And today, with the Final Four in the NFL, I like using that once in a while. People don't use Final Four for football. They always say conference championships. But the Final Four for football, you've got two teams that were bottom of their division last year. So Bears fans, there is hope. Don't go anywhere. There is hope. Also, by the way, don't go anywhere if you're a big fan of the outdoors and who the heck isn't. We've got some tickets to give away. The Progressive Insurance Chicagoland Fishing Travel and Outdoor Expo taking place at the Schomburg Convention Center January 25th through the 28th. We're going to give away, what do you think, Felix? Two pair each hour? How's that sound? Two pair sounds good. We got enough to give away two pair each hour. So we'll do that. Two pair of tickets each hour. Now, that's not two pair of tickets. That's two pair of four packs. Uh, So we'll be giving those away throughout the course of the show. We're here till noon. For more information on the show, you can go to sportsshows.com. So we'll make sure we'll take care of you guys on that, too. Okay, looking at the two games. If you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. Got a couple of quick questions you want to jump on in. We'll get into some baseball stuff also a little bit later on. But the Jaguars and New England, I've got two questions for you. Do you want to see a Jags defense shut down Tom Brady and the New England Patriots? There are so many people out there that are not Patriots fans. But when you get to this point, they say, well, they're the best team. And we'd like to see them in the Super Bowl. When I watched the Patriots last week... I got so frustrated, and I mentioned it last Sunday because they played on Saturday. It was like watching a coaching video. Every time Tom Brady dropped back, there was a wide-open receiver, and I mean a wide-open receiver. And most of the time, it was Danny Amendola or it was Gronk. They were wide open all day long. And as a football fan, I wanted to see some competition. I'm hoping that the Jacksonville Jaguars defense can shut down uh, some of that passing game and also get to Tom Brady. But do you want to see the Jaguars defense shut down Tom Brady? And if in fact you do, can you deal with a Blake Bortles quarterbacking in Super Bowl 52? Cause that's what's going to happen. Now Blake Bortles has been, heck, he's almost been a punchline around the NFL because of the way he has played. He did not play very, very well in the first round of the playoffs this year, but Bortles said he's got definitely some support from his teammates. That type of stuff for me uh, is big, you know, because 
you know, I don't care much, I guess, about what is said outside of our lot. You know, what I care about is in that locker room, and, and, and those are the opinions I care about, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So when other people say stuff or when it comes from anywhere, you know, it doesn't bother me. But to see, uh, you know, guys within that locker room stand up for me and say stuff um, it is pretty cool because those are the opinions that I, that I value and the guys, um, you know, that I want to impress and do well for. Listen, they have some offensive weapons. Leonard Fournette running the ball. The rookie looked really good in the previous game, went out in the second quarter with an injury, came back in the second half. They also have Marquise Lee. They have a couple of decent receivers. Uh, they just need to do some, have some protection for Blake Bortles and have him put the ball in the right place. This Patriots defense can be beat. And Doug Marone, the head coach of the Jaguars, knows that uh, when you go up against New England, you're definitely facing the best. This team outside of the New York Yankees, you know, is probably the best dynasty that, that you've seen. I mean, they, they're an outstanding football team. I don't think I can come in here and give you guys any, you know, hey, if you do this, you have a chance. If you do this, you have a chance. You, you've got to go and you have to execute. And you're talking about a team that is probably the best execution, you know, team performance-wise on Sunday since, you know, 2001. So, you know, it's going to come down to our, you know, how we play on Sunday, and we're going to have to play extremely well. It's going to be a, a, an unbelievable challenge for us. It'll be fun. 205 start at Gillette Stadium, the Jaguars and New England. So, do you want to see the Jags defense shut down at Tom Brady? Do you want to see the Patriots win and dominate and get to another Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52? And can you deal with Blake Bortles going to the Super Bowl and being the quarterback? I know that uh, Trent Dilfer made it before, and there were other quarterbacks in the past. Uh, I want to see Jeff Hostetler made it for the uh, Giants way back when. There are other quarterbacks, not the top QBs in the league, making it to the Super Bowl. But can you deal with can you can you deal with getting ready for Super Bowl Fifty Two? And then when a game gets underway, you see Blake Bortles under center. Now for the Minnesota and the Philadelphia game. That one comes up around five forty this afternoon. The second game, Minnesota. There was all those possibilities that Minnesota could be playing the championship game of the NFC at their home stadium, but. Matt Ryan couldn't get in the end zone from nine yards out on four downs at the end of the game last week. And as a result, Philadelphia, which they didn't have much offense at all, um, is in the postseason. They are in the championship game today as they host Minnesota. So you take the Vikings outside. A couple of questions for you. Everybody that listens to me, they kind of know my uh, <clears throat> love for Elshon Jeffrey or non-love for Alshon Jeffrey. My question is, will Alshon Jeffrey have a big game today? Or will he disappear, as he's been known to do? And how will that lower back soreness affect wide receiver Adam Thielen in the game? If for some reason Adam Thielen can't go, or can't go full speed, or is not 100%, that's going to be tough because then you got Stefan Diggs and you have Kyle Rudolph and you have uh, La- Laquan Treadwell. You have some other options, obviously. You have Latavius Murray, but you're also outside. And uh, Kyle Forbath will be your kicker outside. Not as easy it is to kick indoors in Minnesota. So I think Minnesota definitely has some things going against them uh, in that situation. You look in Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. They're the home team. But they're the underdog. I don't pay really any attention to that, quite honestly. I drive home at night knowing I did a, put in a full day's work. I get up in the morning and come in here. However I can serve this organization, serve these players, that's all I know. That's all I know. I, I love football. I love coaching football. I love teaching it. I love being around these guys. 
and I'm going to pour my life into these players. And and that's if it's good enough, great because that's all I know I can do. And and I've given my best effort. And so I don't I don't care about what's written. You know, it's kind of like you know the underdog thing. I mean, our players don't pay much attention to that. And I'm kind of the same way. And I was bummed out before the show started because I heard Adam Abdallah hit the story that I was going to hit uh, about the cruise uh, from the Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, greasing up the light poles with Crisco uh, to prevent the Eagles fans from climbing after the NFC Championship game later on this evening. And uh, they call themselves the Crisco Cops. They're all over Philadelphia putting Crisco all over the place so that the fans cannot be climbing. You got to protect the people from themselves. And that's what the uh, city of Philadelphia trying to do for the Philadelphia Eagle fans. So if you had any comments on those two games, your thoughts, I know there's a bunch of Viking fans in the Chicago area. They allow you to come into Chicago. That's fine. 312-332-3776. We'll get more into the games with Arthur Arkish. Pro Football Weekly around 11 o'clock. But I wanted to make sure I tied both uh, football and baseball into this first segment. And one of the reasons is we've got two baseball teams in town. People that know me, they know they've listened to me before. They know I'm a Sox fan, but I follow the Cubs and watch probably more Cub games than I watch Sox games because of how good the North Siders have been over the last several years. And right now, I'm getting geeked up for baseball. The Cubs have signed some pitchers. Ryan Dunsing came, comes in and joins the bullpen, which is a good good move, I thought. You've got a couple other bullpen guys that were signed in their offseason. You also have Tyler Chatwood, but you're still waiting for that number five starter. Not the fifth starter, but the fifth number starter in uh, the Cubs rotation because you Darvish is still out there and Jake Arrieta is still out there and Alex Cobb is still out there. There's a lot of guys still out there. Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic with an article uh, earlier this week talking not only about free agency and the lack of people signing, but also the pace of play. There's a lot going on in baseball right now. There was a conference call Tuesday afternoon, union officials and about 60 players with every major league team represented after the 1,200 members of the union had failed in an informal survey to reach a consensus on the pace of play proposal for major league baseball. Union gave the smaller group of player leaders the authority to decide what they wanted to do now. Listen to this. This is from Ken Rosenthal's column. Baseball in the midst of 27 consecutive years of uninterrupted labor peace is not yet back to the fear and loathing that darkened the sport in the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. But the tension between the players and the owners seemingly is growing daily, and the players' willingness to allow Rob Manfred to unilaterally implement his original pace of play proposal is a stunning reflection of their indignation, an act that might even prove self-defeating. The players could have cut a better deal, still can cut a better deal, with Manfred and uh, Tony Clark, who's in charge of the union, scheduled to meet next week. Instead, they are drawing a line in the sand. Now, many, if not most of the players, oppose a pitch clock and the potentially game-changing penalties attached to it. But the players' sources said also are upset by the slow-moving free agent market, as well as the club's aggressive conduct last Friday, the deadline for exchanging salary arbitration figures. Players are... Also remembering Manfred's combative stance when he first threatened implementation last February. They want Manfred and MLB to bear sole responsibility if, in fact, 
they do install these new rules and they trigger public fallout or unintended consequences. Uh, Rosenthal going on and saying that with pitchers and catchers reporting in less than a month, listen to this number. There are more than 170 free agents that remain unsigned. The strain within the union is unmistakable. Um, so your thoughts on what's going on in Major League Baseball right now? Because I know there was collusion years ago. I don't necessarily think that all the owners have gotten together and said, listen, let's not sign these guys to big-term deals. I think it's come down to trying to save money, not going over and into the luxury tax, and also signing guys that are... 30 or 31 or 32 to a three or four year deal, not to the six or seven year deals that Scott Boris, their agent, might want. And because of that, these free agents have not been signing. I'm sure, and I know there was a talk a while back that if the Cubs could sign Jake Arrieta or if Jake Arrieta would take a four year, $100 million deal, $110 million deal, he'd be signed tomorrow and return to the North Side. But it appears that some of these guys don't think that's going to happen. And you've seen some bigger deals. You've seen the three-year deal to Carlos Santana for $60 million. Uh, Tyler Chatwood got $38 million for three years for the Cubs. You've seen a few bigger deals. Obviously, you saw the Stanton move and the Stanton trade. But you've not seen those big, huge free agent signings. Now, so many people in baseball keep telling me, well, it's going to happen. They're going to sign. It's just taken a while. Eventually, they will sign their six-year deal or their seven-year deal. I'm not sure if you, Darvish, or Jake Arrieta are going to get those kind of deals. We know that Alex Kopp probably would have been signed already if he wasn't a guy that all of a sudden wanted a $100 million deal from the Cubs or any other team that was interested in signing him. I thought that Alex Cobb was a done deal. As soon as Jim Hickey came here to be the pitching coach of the Chicago Cubs, I go, okay, you got Madden here, you've got Hickey here, you got Alex Cobb looking for a job. What better place to go than the north side of Chicago with a team that has been in three straight National League Championship Series? You want to get there again? That would be great. But no, has not happened as of yet. And it's really getting interesting, and I know there's probably a lot of free agents that are sitting around. There are actually some free agents that have said they'd consider sitting out the start of the season. And then when teams start and they see what they need, they'll be able to get their big money later on during the year. Now, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but that's another possibility. If that doesn't happen, the next three weeks before spring training start are going to be three of the most entertaining weeks following baseball out there. 312-332-3776. Now, for those who are not up on some of the pace of play rules, and if you don't understand what's going on, they want to get the average fan and the, quote, millennial to stay interested in baseball. Now, I think even baseball realizes that if you don't like baseball, you don't follow baseball, and you think baseball's boring, then cutting down the time and getting more action is not going to bring people to the game. But they're trying to keep the people that are your average fans saying, listen, I can't sit through three and a half hours. I can't sit through four hours. Excuse me, you do watch college football on Sundays, don't you? Or Saturdays, don't you? Um, that was just my little comment. Um, 
They don't want to spend three and a half hours or four hours every day watching Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball is trying to come up with a couple of rules changes. Now, baseball's original proposal, the one that would be implemented under the terms of the collective bargaining agreement, included a 20-second pitch clock to be turned on at all times with a player receiving one warning per game before an umpire called an automatic ball or a strike. Now, ball or strike, you wonder why. Well, if the hitter's not ready, then they would call a strike. The pitcher's not ready, they would call a ball. Mound visits would be limited to one per inning by manager, coach, or player. A pitcher leaving the mound to hold a conversation would also count as a visit. A second visit would necessitate a pitching change. That's the rule that a lot of major leaguers have a problem with. And even retired major leaguers, I heard Harold Reynolds on MLB Network's Hot Stove Show um, on Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 talking about that and says, listen, it's really important for guys to know about pickoff plays and where to play certain guys and what positions to have the infielder in and where the pitcher's supposed to be going with the ball on a ground ball back to them. That's some of the reasons they actually get together. Now, the revised proposal, the one rejected by the union, addressed some of the players' concerns. The pitch clock would be 18 seconds, but turned on only when runners, when I'm sorry, when no runners were on base. Um... The game time, the average time of game in 2018 dipped below, I think it means 2017, dipped below three. Oh, I'm sorry. This is what would happen if the average time of a game in 2018 dipped below three hours down from a record 308 last year. The clock would remain off when runners were on base. But if the average time was three hours or more in any season or the average game time increased by five minutes or more, the clock then would be used in all situations and increased to 20 seconds with runners on base. You think Major League Baseball wanted to make it really confusing? The Players Union? Unbelievable. Now, the revised proposal also delayed the ball strike penalty until May 1st, giving the players time to grow accustomed to the clock. The maximum time being given uh, between batters is 35 seconds as opposed to 30 seconds. Now, earlier... In uh, the first half of the 2015 season, the players adhered for the most part to the new rule that Manfred had requiring batters to keep one foot in the batter's box. Hitters then regressed in the second half, even as they started to receive token fines, some of them telling officials, find me every at bat for the rest of the year. I don't care. I'm not getting in the box. Uh, I got to get in and get ready whenever I'm set. So if you got any comments on the pace of play and your thoughts about what's going on with the union or the free agents and what's not happening right now, there's no signings going on right now, no free agent signings, which is bizarre. I mean, Jesse Rogers took his darn vacation early so that he'd be ready for all of the um, off-season moves, all of the signings. Nothing's happening. Absolutely nothing. So 312-332-3776. You're a Cubs fan. You're a White Sox fan. White Sox, they're just sitting around waiting for their season to get underway because they've got nothing but young guys. Uh, we had last week, we had Chuck Garfine from NBC Sports Chicago on here. They do a White Sox talk podcast. They just got done listening to the one with Don Cooper, the pitching coach for the White Sox, going over all of the young pitchers that the White Sox have. They talked about 14 different guys including Dylan Cease, a guy that the uh, White Sox got in the Cubs deal uh, for Jose Quintana. So if you are a White Sox fan, you're jonesing for some White Sox news, uh, go to the White Sox Talk podcast on NBC Sports Chicago. You can find it on iTunes and a lot of other places. Um, Cubs, they had their Cub convention last week. Sean Bosky was there. Paul Russell was there. 
Um, let's see. John Baker was there. Larry Bittner. Randy Hundley. Uh, a lot of talk this week. And we're not going to get into the Sammy Sosa not being there conversation. But uh, the White Sox have their Sox Fest coming up this coming weekend at the Chicago Hilton. If you're going there and you're a big Sox fan, you want to make sure. I don't care. Let your kids stand in line for autographs. Um Friday night, but you want to make sure you sit in on the Rick Hahn, Ricky Renteria, um, town hall, I guess you'd call it, as they take questions from the fans, because that's the one thing I always make sure I hit. Next week may not be able to get there because I'm doing a show with Chris Black on Friday night, uh, from seven till nine. But if you're heading out to Sox Fest, take a look. Look for me. I'll be there for the opening ceremonies and then have a lot of White Sox talk when I come in here to work with Black. We come back. Some more Cubs news. How about Bryce Harper? Where's he going? We'll talk about it right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Huben on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Uh, welcome back in. A lot of football talk coming up a little bit later on. Arthur Arcus from Pro Football Weekly will join us in the 11 o'clock hour. And again, football talk, soccer talk, Chicago Fire, around 1030, Paul Tenorio. My guy will join us as uh, he was at the uh, draft, asking all the questions, getting breaking the stories about uh, the Chicago Fire moving David Akam. We'll talk about that around 10.30. Right now, talking some baseball. We talked in the last segment about all the pace of play rules. We're going to talk about um, a John Heyman article in FanRag Sports that I saw just uh, earlier today. But first, let's get to the calls. 312-332-3776. want to jump on in. Let's go first to Plainfield. And Luke, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening this morning? Uh, how you doing? I just, I think they should leave the game alone. It's, it, people that don't appreciate the game now and the nuances of it aren't going to start watching it if you shave eight minutes off. It's just, it's the way the game is. And, Appreciate it or don't, you're dude. You're not required to watch it. Yeah, that's one of the things, Luke. I, the last couple of years, I can't. It's the one game without a clock. It's the one game where there's a lot of thing can going on. You've got eight guys in the field, you know, including your pitcher. You got to figure out where they're all going to go. They've got signs. They've got uh, shifts. They got all kinds of things. I have no problem with uh, the way the game is right now. Uh, the only thing that I would improve on Luke, and I don't. Let me get your opinion. Is uh, I would love to see a little cart when a guy does a pitching change, so they bring the guy to the mound as quick as possible, and he didn't get any warm ups. Maybe one, not eight. He's just warmed up in the bullpen. I don't know. Everybody says, well, the mounds are different. I don't believe that. Uh, that they're that different. A guy needs eight pitches off the mound to get familiar with it. Uh, that's one thing that and watching the game bothers me, but all these other things, you know, shortening the time between innings, that's fine. But having a batter stay in the box when everybody, every batter's got his own little thing, you know, Luke, and, uh, I love the game. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to see because for some reason they all want to make it quicker. And you're right about one thing. If you don't like the game now, shortening it by eight or nine minutes isn't going to make you like it. Right. And that's a good idea about the, you know, having the cars. So that's kind of old school ladies. Right. Um, but, uh, I, I do, I disagree about the mound because you, you want, he's got to find his landing spot and there's been, you know, however many pitchers out there digging different holes with their landing spots and you don't want them to get hurt. So maybe, you know, not eight pitches, maybe cut it down to four or something like that. We'll get a but, happy medium. We'll figure it out. Sure. Yeah. Luke, we appreciate the call. Thanks a lot. 
Let's go on out to uh, Munster and Tim. Tim, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Hey, um, you know, I, I enjoy the game as it is, but I would say this. Playoffs get absolutely even worse uh, with all the pitching changes. But I think that if you want to attract and, and, and keep the game alive with a younger audience, I think you have to find ways to bring the time down a little bit. And I think one of the ways to do that is during the pitching changes, not to go to a commercial, but to um, allow the you know commercials to run side by side while the guy's warming up. Because I've been to games and I've watched, and they're throwing more than eight pitches. It's not the guy throwing pitches that's waiting for the you know commercial break to end. The other thing that I think you could do is uh, the, reduce the trips to the mound. When uh, there's a base hit, the catcher can certainly come out and tell the pitcher something. But you know, if you've got to come back and the catcher goes back and forth up to the, uh, you know, back and forth to the pitcher, you know, talking about you know what they're going to throw, whatever. You've got the game before to strategize who the hitters are, and certainly uh, when the guy is, uh, you know, get, you know, on the mound and the, the guy's at the plate, you don't need another trip to the mound. I think that should count as a trip. Period. I think there's too many of those. Um, last thing I would say I wanted to mention is uh, with Sox Fest coming up, I hope they have the opportunity to ask Rick Hahn with this free agent market that they have why they would not get in on Mike Moustakis. He's not a 32 or 33-year-old player. Uh, it's a position that they – I know they have somebody in the wings that they're developing, but that would be one piece. They've got a low payroll so they could front end a contract. Why they haven't gotten in on that move uh, is beyond me. You know, I appreciate the call, Tim, and you bring up some good points. The Moustakis point is interesting. I'm surprised he's still out there. Uh, I thought he was going to head to the Giants, and then the Giants made the move to get Evan Longoria. The only thing about the White Sox is if they're not, if they're seriously not considered to challenge until maybe next year, definitely the year after, then maybe they don't want to sign a big money guy right now. And maybe they're saving their money to go after Manny Machado. I mean, I don't know and I don't think the Machado would come here as opposed to some of the other places they're going to offer him big money, but you never know. I mean, with guys like Abreu and Moncada and uh, Eloy Jimenez and Louis Robert, I, you know, Moncada would be, I mean, I'm sorry, Machado would be a wonderful player to plug in, even if you had to put him at shortstop. Um, you know, Tim Anderson improved last year. He improved both in the field and at the bat in the second half of the season. But if you can get a Manny Machado who wants to play shortstop, I'd love to have him. And the one thing you bring up about the uh, commercials um, during a pitching change, I agree they should do that uh, if they can get the advertisers to agree. If you've watched a lot of the football games are doing that now, they'll say, we'll be back in 30 seconds. And while the pitcher's throwing his warm-ups, you can see that. And you can also see the commercial at the same time. Now, they probably got to get an okay from the sponsors uh, to do that. But... I think it's a great call. And I think they're leaning that way in all sports right now. I mean, I think, I don't know if basketball's done it. I know that football does it all the time. And you'll see it again today, uh, on, on the two games where they will say, you know, uh, we'll be back in 30 seconds or back in 60 seconds. You'll see other stuff going on in the field or a review or something. And while they're doing it, they'll play a commercial and get it in. So that'll work. 312-332-3776. And ask that question. If anybody goes to SoxFest that's listening right now, ask the question about Mike Moustakis. Now, the problem is you probably won't get an answer or a really good answer, but ask a Rick Hahn. 
if you're not looking to win for a couple of years, if you're not expecting to challenge and you're still in the rebuild and you're building your team, I kind of like re- you're building your team instead of a rebuild because they seem to have the players right now. They're just waiting for them to get older. Um, maybe they don't want to spend big money right now on a player. Maybe they want to wait a year or two. They've got money. There's no doubt about the, about it. The White Sox have money. I think their payroll right now is around $74 million. It's very, very low. Even after they've paid, um, Jose Abreu was 13 million for this year. And I could be off a little bit, but I read about a week ago, like said between 67 and $74 million. Okay. Cub fans, listen up. A lot of people are, I mean, Chris Bryant included, hoping that Bryce Harper decides at the end of next year to sign a free agent deal to become a member of the Chicago Cubs. Well, John Heyman, who writes for Fan Rag Sports, and you also see him on the NFL, I'm sorry, the MLB Network, <clears throat> he wrote an article titled, Harper to Cubs next winter, hardly a sure thing. The idea of Bryce Harper potentially signing with the Cubs was mentioned in this space recently and was talked about a lot at the Cubs convention. But the reality is, it may not be so likely. That isn't going to happen, one source suggested. There are plenty of reasons it makes sense, starting with the incredibly close friendship between Harper and Cubs star Chris Bryant, childhood buddies, equally close relationship between their respective wives. Heck, we saw them playing charades together. Of course, as someone mentioned, Harper's dog is named Wrigley, which isn't nothing. Uh, however, the source said, He doesn't see the Cubs as the most likely landing spot for a few reasons. And here are two of them. One, and this one's got to just leave you shaking your head. The Cubs have Jason Hayward in right field. Hayward, perhaps the best defensive right fielder in the game, and they are likely to have him under contract for at least the next four years as he's hard to trade since he hasn't lived up to his $184 million contract from an offensive standpoint. Let me stop right here before I get to number two. For every good thing that Theo and Jed did, you got to go back and look at Jason Hayward, $184 million. You really do. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't have a great year in St. Louis, tremendous defensive outfielder, but man, oh man, he just cannot hit. We'll see if Chili Davis can work wonders with him this year. Apparently he's working with him already. Number two, the Cubs will want to sign long-term, their own homegrown stars, including Bryant, and they've been rather interested in trying to stay under the luxury tax threshold. From here, more likely trade, uh, more likely landing spots for Harper in order. But before we get to the order of the other spots he has, there are a lot of guys, Bryant, um, guys that the Cubs have very cheaply right now. And uh, Bryant's making, what, 10.85 he just signed his deal for. Uh, for this coming year, and they avoided arbitration and everything else, or they they gave him the money. So the um, the thing that gets me is they are going to want to sign a lot of their own guys. The question is, how many of their own guys are they going to want to make sure they sign? Baez, Russell, there's been talk about moving them. Kyle Schwarber, he's a guy that's you know just a couple years in. They've got him for a while longer. Now, the other landing spots that John Heyman talks about for Bryce Harper, the Nationals, he loves D.C., the franchise, the owner, Ted Lerner, history of working things out with Scott agent Scott Boris. That's always a possibility. The Dodgers, Harper from Las Vegas, practically uh, his hometown team. Dodgers reset the luxury tax rate down to 20% by getting below the luxury tax threshold this year, assuming they stay under it. Plus, he has that connection with Dodgers president Stan Kasten from his days with the Nationals. The Phillies, 
And I'm telling you, these Phillies, they've got money. They've got some young players. Now, it says here, Phillies, they may have the most money to spend. And Harper is very competitive fellow, though Manny Machado may make even more sense for the Phillies since Philadelphia people have strong links to Machado. Well, we'll see. And the last but not least, and the one that everybody fears, and heck, I've feared these guys since I first started going to baseball games and looked at the standings and the... You know, when there was just an American League and National League, the damn Yankees were always ahead of the White Sox. Uh, the New York Yankees, sure, they have the two biggest sluggers in baseball filling their corner outfield spots. Machado seems to make more sense for them, too. But Harper's dad, a reportedly Yankee fan, and they also have reset their luxury tax to participate in the biggest free agent frenzy ever. So, just because Bryce Harper's going to be available, it's not a sure thing. Now, there aren't many sure things in the world of sports, but it's not a sure thing that uh, Bryce Harper, as you know, as friendly as he is with uh, Chris Bryant, they can still play charades in the offseason in Las Vegas. But, you know, this year, everyone's waiting. Next year, they're going to be waiting on two guys. And I can't wait to see how it works next year with Manny Machado and with Bryce Harper. Your thoughts on that? How you feel if you're a Cub fan? Uh, White Sox comments. We get to top of the hour. We're talking some Bulls and we'll work some Blackhawks in. 312-332-3776. Fred Hubner with you. It is a, a football conference championship Sunday. Couple of games today. The Jaguars are in New England while Minnesota travels to Philadelphia. We'll talk with Arthur Arkish around 11.05, 11.10 for more on uh, that contest. But right now, if you want to take a trip and go to the Progressive Insurance Chicagoland Fishing Travel and Outdoor Expo taking place at the Schomburg Convention Center January 25th through the 28th, right now, callers 3 and 4, that's right, callers 3 and 4, you'll get a four-pack of tickets to go and see the Progressive Insurance Chicagoland Fishing Travel and Outdoor Expo taking place on January 25th through the 28th. 312-332-3776. More information, details, go to sportsshows.com. Colors 3 and 4. You get a four-pack of tickets. More baseball talk. We come back after this on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you. A little more baseball talk before we talk some Bulls. A little bit of Blackhawks next half hour. And then we'll get into some soccer talk. Chicago Fire with their draft. They trade David Akam. Now, if you're not a uh, soccer fan, just so you know, tra- trading David Akam would be like trading Jimmy Butler. Well, kind of. Uh, David Akam led the team in scoring in 2015, in 2016, and finished second in goals in 2017 on the team. With Nemanja Nikolic uh, being the golden boot winner, which means he scored more goals than anybody in Major League Soccer. So uh, the Chicago Fire, with a lot of stuff happening, their practices begin on a Tuesday. And we're going to talk to Paul Tenorio, bottom of the hour, 1030. Uh, back to baseball for a second. This is an article I'm going to refer to again on a different topic. Um in the 11th, around 11.30. But Jeff Passan wrote an article called Here's Why Baseball's Economic System Might Be Broken. It's a long article from Yahoo. And if you love baseball, you want to read it. It's got some great, great stuff. And we'll get into some more of it later on. But I wanted to get to this because we talked about it 
a little bit earlier about the free agents not signing. Says here, Jeff Passon's article from Yahoo, MLB columnist. Never did Tony Clark utter the word he didn't have to. Every question he asked, every implication he made dripped with its presence. Early last week, as top officials from MLB and the MLB Players Association met and discussed the sports a debilitating free agent market. Clark, the executive director of the union, wanted to establish a few things for the record. Does baseball's labor relations department give advice on free agent contracts? No, he was told. Was free agent strategy discussed at the most recent owners meeting? No, again. Clark continued, the answer never changed. Diplomacy kept him from uttering the word, the most loaded in the baseball lexicon, one with a sordid history of imperiling past off-seasons, collusion. In the minds of those who see every other rationalization for the frozen market as little more than an excuse, the notion of teams working with one another to suppress free agent prices had crept from paranoid delusion to entirely possible. With no smoking gun, it too is merely a theory. One of the league clearly rejects in a statement from uh, a statement to yahoo there are a variety of factors that could explain the operation of the market we can say that without a doubt collusion is not one of them it's difficult to pinpoint a single cause but it certainly is relevant for that an agent who has a long track record of going late into the market controls many of these top players and of course the agent they're talking about scott boris he represents hosmer martinez arietta Mustakis, the first three of whom entered the offseason expecting to fetch 100 million plus deals like so many others are jobless with pitchers and catchers reporting in less than a month. At a time that teams combined to record profits of $981 million in 2016, according to Forbes, players are wondering what happened to their cut. Only 51 free agents have signed this winter for a total of $655 million. Just 13 are position players. Stars and scrubs, old and young, hitters and pitchers, this market does not discriminate. It has said simply, if you play baseball, you must wait. So there's a lot of very, very interesting stuff. I myself do not think there's collusion. I do not think one owner called another owner and said, listen, we got to stop this. We got to stop paying these guys so much money and giving them long-term deals. I do think common sense sometimes comes in where if you're an owner of a major league team, okay, you you get a player and a player plays for you. You've got him under control for seven years. Okay, they can't leave. They go to arbitration. Uh, you give them more money. You give them even more money, but they can't leave you. You can trade them, but they can't leave. And I know that's the way baseball's put together. Some people say that's not fair either. But once they leave, seven years later, they become free agents. If you look at the list of free agents, so many are 30, 31, 32, 33, because maybe it took a little longer to get to the big leagues. Well, they want long-term deals. If I'm an owner of a team, I've seen the Albert Pujols deal. And there's no way I'm giving that kind of, those years to some of these guys. These pitchers are 31, 32. They're not getting that kind of money from me. And I don't think it has to do with collusion. I think it makes common sense. Listen, let's spend our money on some younger players. Let's spend our money on other things. Let's do more scouting. Let's uh, get some of the other players up. We're going to lose some money in arbitration because some of these younger players are performing real well. And they're going to beat some of the teams in their arbitration numbers. But I have no problem. I think signing any player to a deal longer than four years is crazy.
absolutely crazy. Now we'll see what happens with uh, guys like Darvish and Arietta. I think the longest deal that's been signed so far this year is a four-year deal. I can check on that during the commercial break, or maybe Felix can check on that. If you, what the longest free agent deal signed so far this year? I know there were a bunch of three-year deals, uh, Carlos Santana and uh, also Tyler Chatwood, and there were a bunch of them. Uh, Wade Davis was three years for $52 million, I think it was. Uh, 312-332-3776. We go to Tom. Tom, what's going on? Nothing much, Freddie. I always appreciate you on the air. You make uh, things very lively, and you you keep the the program very well paced. Thanks, Tom. I just wanted to chime in with you. Look, I'm an old man. I'm older than you are, but I'll tell you. Not many people are older than me, but go ahead. (laughs) Anyway, what, what bothers me the most, and I go back to Kurt Flood. I never was crazy about free agency. I thought that there would be a better way that the players could be, you know, paid better without uh, free agency. And I think Scott Boros is the the eventual uh, problem, you know, uh, with him controlling all these free agents. It's crazy. I think that's collusion. Because that guy is really out of control. He, he is really uh, ratcheted up the cost. Uh, you know, the, the owners are making a fortune. There's no doubt about it. But who's getting screwed? The little guy, I can't go to any of the games. 72 years old, I'm living on a fixed income. There's no way I could afford to go to any of these games unless the Sox have a, you know, a $5 parking and a $4 ticket. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Well, and you see, most of these guys, and Tom, appreciate your call as always. Love talking baseball with you. Most of these owners, there aren't many baseball teams that are losing money. Uh, they're all making their money. And I understand the players deserve and want their cut. That's fine. I think you can still sign guys. See, you can still sign guys to deals and just not give them the long-term deals. But if you're a guy like Scott Boris, an agent, and you're holding out for a five- or six- or seven-year deal, if I'm an owner, I'm not paying it. I'll give you your $20 million for five for four years but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spread it out to five six or seven because then i've got money that i'm just throwing away because the odds are you're not going to be good and if you're a player you have confidence in your ability get take that four-year deal for big money and say listen if you won't give me a five years throw an extra million in each year and i'll sign the deal today and i would think that that may be hopefully in my opinion what happens um if you're a player you want to sign with Scott Boris because one thing Scott Boris does is he gets his players the most amount of money. That's why this whole thing is intriguing. That's why this whole thing is interesting because right now, I'm sure J.D. Martinez and Arietta and Moustakis are saying, Hey, Scott, what's going on? Uh, it's January 21st. I'm watching conference championship games and I don't know where I'm going to be playing this year. They're getting a little antsy. I would love to hear some of the phone calls coming in from players to their agent, Scott Boris. We'll get more into baseball, the uh, 1130-ish. We'll talk a little bit more about free agency. We'll talk also about tanking. Speaking of tanking, talking bulls, we come back after this. Fred Hubner with you on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Overall uh, awareness and I thought our urgency was uh, was really good. And we did the basics well tonight. We had a really good defensive game going into the 
those last four minutes when, when they when they caught five. Marketing had five dunks. What does that tell you? Well, Lowry had 19 points and didn't make a three. And you know they were switching on to him. I thought the guys had great awareness uh, with high low uh, type actions. I thought his attack to the basket. He had a great euro step. You know we almost stopped uh, to get that one on the left, driving the left baseline. Uh, sorry, on the left side along the baseline. Uh, but again, I, you know, guys, again, with uh, when he gets the switch, especially when it's a point guard, you know, if he can do, uh, if he can get down there and guys make the, the high low pass, or that Robin had great awareness, or that uh, Jaron uh, got him a couple good ones. We went to him right out of the gate tonight. We got, we got a couple dunks on that in the post as well. Ah, uh, Freddie Hoiberg. Heck, a lot of Bulls fans wanted him gone. Now there's Bulls fans that want to see him get a contract extension. Fred Huebner back with you here. Hour two of our three hour show. We're here till noon. We get back to some uh, football talk in the 11 o'clock hour. Talking soccer, Chicago Fire at 1030 with Paul Tenorio. Right now we're going to talk some Bulls and we'll work a little bit of Blackhawks in here before the bottom of the hour. Um, unfortunately, that's, you know, they are struggling big time. But we'll talk about them. One team not struggling right now is the Chicago Bulls. Uh, they come back from a seven-point home loss to Golden State three days ago. They have now won four of five in 15 of their last 23. They never trailed. 11-point lead midway through the first quarter. Um, they went up 17 in the closing seconds of the first half. And uh, they're doing this without Chris Dunn. Dunn is still out, suffering from headaches, dizziness, and soreness after losing those front teeth on when he, his face hit the floor. Uh, the Bulls 7-16 and 16 on the road, but has won four of their last six away from the United Center. They are winning games. They have hit at least 10 threes in 10 straight games. Yesterday, for the Bulls, they were led in scoring. By Robin Lopez. Lopez with 20. Markinen with 19. And as uh, Freddie Hoiberg mentioned, no threes. He was 0 for 4 from three-point range. 14 points off the bench for Bobby Portis. He was 2 of 3 from 3. Also, you had uh, Justin Holiday with three threes. He had 13 points. And um, let's see here. Nico, just one three. 20 minutes only. Uh, he scored 10 points. And uh, Ryan... Archie Diacono with two shots, two threes. He had eight points for the game, four assists. He uh, was activated from the Windy City Bulls because of Chris Dunn being down. So the Bulls, a 113-97 win yesterday. And you look at the standings right now. And I know they came into the season, they were going to tank. That's right. They were going to tank. They were going to lose. They were trying to get the one or two pick in the NBA draft. It's not looking like that's what's going to happen. Right now, the Chicago Bulls are 18 and 28. They are five and a half games behind Milwaukee for the eighth and final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. They're four and a half games ahead of Orlando for the worst record in the East. And let's see here. Yeah, the worst record in the NBA, actually. So, the question is, do they go up or do they go down? All season long, people have been saying, listen, and I understand, you know, I'm the old guy. We had a caller, Tom, saying uh, he's older than, you know, he's an old man. Well, you know, I'm up there, too. And tanking is not something I'm a big fan of, but I understand why you do it. OK, you're playing by the rules, just exactly the way the Cubs did it. They play by the rules. OK, Um 
you put a team out there that's not expected to win many games, and as a result, you end up getting a high draft pick. Those high draft picks make you a better team. You develop the talent. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're in the postseason winning championships. Okay? That's the way everybody wants it to go. Philadelphia's tried it for years. And for Philadelphia, as I go back to my standings for a second, uh, Philadelphia right now, they're 22 and 20. They're sixth. So after a few years of doing it, they are, they're only one game ahead of ninth place Detroit. But right now, Philadelphia would be a playoff team. They are sixth in the Eastern Conference, but it's taken a while. And they've, Philadelphia 76er fans have watched some very, very bad basketball. Right now, if you're a Bulls fan, you're watching fun basketball. You're watching Nico Meritage playing the best he's ever played. You're watching Larry Markinen, the Bear, or the Bulls seventh pick in the draft, um, playing 30 minutes and leading his team. Okay. He didn't shoot three. So what did he do? He had dunks all over the place. Five, six dunks. He was, uh, fun to watch yesterday. Moving without the ball. Justin Holiday is hitting the, hitting. Uh, Zach Levine, uh, struggled in shooting his last two games. I think he's a combined four for 21, but, uh, he's just back. And, uh, the limit, um, the minute limit, uh, lifted a little bit, but he only played 18 minutes yesterday. So you're seeing a team with guys off the bench like Portis and Denzel Valentine and David Nwaba. They're going out to reach in every game trying to win. And the question is, what does the organization do at this point? Okay, you're the Bulls organization. Do you continue to try and tank? Do you make the trades? Do you move Meritich? Do you move Robin Lopez? Or do you shoot for the playoffs? That's been a big question, and it's coming up even more now because the Bulls are playing well. Those numbers I gave you again... They've won 4 of 5 and 15 of 23. Well, yesterday, we had Kendall Gill, Kendall Gill on. Kendall Gill works with Will Purdue and with Mark Shinowski. They do the pre- and post-game show on NBC Sports Chicago. Not only for NBC Sports Chicago games, but also of the games on, you know, TNT or Channel 9. They still do a pre- and a post-game show. Uh, over there at NBC Sports Chicago. Great idea. The concept's wonderful. I, re- I really like that because you can go back and check it out right away. Well, Kendall Gill was on with me and Mike Murphy yesterday morning. Murph and Fred, Saturday mornings, 9 till noon. And listen to what Kendall Gill had to say about the Bulls and the whole tanking situation. As a player for the Bulls right now, because you, you've seen success, because you've uh, everyone has bought into Fred Hoiberg's system, and now Fred has the players uh, to run his system, they have found a formula for winning. So every time they walk into the United Center or wherever they're playing around the country, those guys think that they have a chance to win. I mean, you, you look at it, they, they went in, they beat New York, they go in, they beat Milwaukee, they beat Indiana, they beat, they're beating all of the middle-of-the-pack teams that are supposed to be in the playoffs. And that, and that gives you a ton of confidence now. And then you go to Cleveland the last time. They almost won against Cleveland. Yep. Then the other night, they play against Golden State Warriors, and they hang tough with Golden State. After everybody thought that they were out of the game in the third quarter, they actually come back. And, hey, also, Zach Levine is on the minutes restriction. So they're thinking, listen, what if our best player, Zach Levine, if the minutes restriction is lifted? Then we can we probably could have beaten Golden State. This is the way that they're thinking, guys. And I can tell you that. And here's another thing, another reason why this team is not going to tank. Everybody on this team has something to prove. 
You look at Nico Miritich. He has something to prove, okay? Because everybody was saying, oh, well, he shouldn't have gotten that, big, that, big, that much money in, in the contract. He has another year, but it's at the Bulls' option. He has something to prove to, to, the, to the organization. Bobby Portis has something to prove. You know, coming off of uh, the altercation he got with Nico, he's also vying for another contract. You look at Chris Dunn, who, who had a bad year in Minnesota last year under Tom Thibodeau. He has something to prove that he was worth the fifth pick. You look at um, you look at uh, let's see Zach Levine, who comes back off of the knee injury, who wants to prove that I am the centerpiece of this trade. And everybody was saying, "Hey, we didn't get enough for Jimmy Butler." He wants to prove <laughs> all of those things uh-huh. wrong. Okay, so so you got a whole bunch of guys that that, that are talented, that, that have found a system that works for them, and that have something to prove. That's why. We can forget about the draft pick because that ain't going to happen, okay? The best scenario is, in my opinion, the best scenario is for the Bulls to go for broke, try to make the playoffs, and attract a a free agent that can really help them out, that that can look in from the outside and say, hey, listen, I really like what's going on in Chicago. They have a lot of great young talent. They got a nice young coach. They got a system that works. And if I am added to the mix, then I could push them over to the top and become a contender in the Eastern Conference. Paul George, can you hear me? Well, there you go. That was Kendall Gill with a little shout-out to Paul George at the very end. We'll get to your calls, 312-332-3776. Some of the things that Kendall brought up, saying everyone is bought into the system. They found a formula for winning. They're beating the the middle-of-the-pack teams. Now, when you think about that, other than four or five teams in the entire 30-team NBA, most of those other teams are on the middle of the pack, okay? So if you start beating the middle-of-the-pack teams, there's a good chance that eventually you may end up getting to the postseason. I understand. Again, I'm not, well, I'm stupid about a lot of things. But I understand. It took me a while. But I understand why Bulls fans wanted the Bulls to tank. And I understand why the Bulls wanted to do it. But I don't think they realized that Chris Dunn and... Uh, Markinen and everybody would play as well as they did. You can't tell the players to tank. Okay. You're trying to develop these players into players that are going to be here when the team gets really good. So they're going out there and right now they're buying into the Fred Hoiberg system. They're throwing up threes. And when I say throwing up threes, I mentioned that Markinen had none yesterday. They shot 43, 44% from three yesterday. They were 14 for 32. They shot 50% for the game. But they're moving the ball too. 31 assists on 40 baskets. Okay? 31 assists on 40 baskets. They're moving the ball. They're doing what they're supposed to do. So what do you do if you're the Bulls organization? Do you continue to try and tank? Do you make the trades? Do you move a Lopez? Do you move a Miritich? And then no matter how good or how, how much this, these players buy in, they're going to have a hard time winning with without uh, somebody to go to in the low post, somebody to come in off the bench and score you 18, 20 points. Or do you say, forget it, we'll go to the playoffs. Now, earlier today, Black and Abdallah were talking, are you a seller or a buyer? You're definitely not a buyer. You're not going to buy anybody, okay? You may move one of the players and get a player back, but you're not going to go on out and buy a player or try to make a, a, a move where it's going to make your team playoff ready. That's not what you're going to do. 
in my opinion. 312-332-3776. What do you think about the Chicago Bulls team, the way they're playing, what they should do going forward? I know a lot of people are disappointed. The tank's not going to happen. And Kendall Gill said it in that piece when he joined me and Murphy yesterday. But what are your thoughts? 312-332-3776. You can also get to me on Twitter at Fred underscore Hubner. Let's go to Crystal Lake and Ryan. Ryan, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Morning, Fred. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Ryan. What's up? Not much. Um, so just regarding the Bulls, man, I mean, I really can't complain. I mean, considering the trade that happened draft night last year, I mean, I was expecting, okay, we're going to have a couple bad years. And, I mean, but we're also looking at it, we got three first-round picks with the trade of Jimmy. And it's like, so while everyone's saying that, like, we need a tank so we can get, like, the kid from Arizona or Duke or whatnot, it's like, well, why don't we just try to, like, you know, just work on improving what we're scouting with? Because, I mean, you look at all the top players, like, I mean, look at Golden State. They're outside all those big players besides Durant were outside the top ten. So, right. it's like, you're telling me we can't find good talent outside the top ten? And, like, I think out of the trade targets we have that, like, we want to move, Miritich obviously is the hotter of the assets. So, it's like, why not keep Lopez for, I mean, right now, unless the price is good, Try to get Miritich traded. I mean, but at the same time, too, it's just like, why don't we just invest what we have? I mean, Antonio Blakeney off the Windy City Bulls is like the, I think, the G League leading scorer right now, too. So it's like, you got some talent that's there. It's just, why not invest and maybe just make some smart trades instead of trying to go for like a top five pick to trade for like Miritich? Just try to invest in something and just work on scouting and just investing in those players. Uh, Ryan, what were your thoughts before the season? Were you all in on the on the uh, tank when the season started? Well, I mean, looking at Jimmy, I mean, it's like, I love Jimmy. Don't get me wrong, but it's like how they handle the whole situation in free agency the last few years. It's like, I rather would have seen him succeed in like a better team like Boston for the longest time. But he's doing, I mean, he's doing, if not better in Minnesota with, essentially the Bulls 2.0 with Tibbs and the crew. So right. um, I said kind of like no expectations really going into it. I'm like, I liked Dunn from last year. Obviously, he's in Tibbs' system, so he's not going to play too much as a rookie. Levine was a dunk contest winner, so it's like, okay, we got someone who's flashy and can move like that. And from what I saw from Markinen, I was just like, okay, so we got someone who maybe has a chance to be a fifth of what Dirk is or like anything like Porzingis. It's like, right. sure. Let me see how it is. I mean, like, granted, I think Fred didn't have a chance to work his system in with all that all-star talent who had been entrenched with Tibbs' way and doing it their way. So he really didn't have a chance to, like, coach his style until this year. So I was like, you know what? I'm not expecting – if they, I'm not expecting to make the playoffs. It's just essentially a rebuild year. I mean, heck, we're in Chicago. We're in – we're going to win through with the Cubs. We're going right now with Bears. So it's like, there's no patience. I mean, the fact that everyone's doing so well to begin with, I mean, I really can't complain. So right, while right. I'm saying that we don't. No, I was just going to say, I appreciate the call. And, and I agree with you. When the season started, I thought they were going to struggle. I thought you're bringing in a rookie who's drafted seventh. Chris Dunn didn't perform well last year. Again, Tibbs doesn't always like rookies and young guys. Zach Levine was hurt. We saw what we got from Miritich. I was surprised they signed him again. Uh, you know, I didn't see a whole heck of a lot of promise there. But 
believe it or not, Jerry and Grant's gotten better. And Denzel Valentine actually has started to figure things out. It's taken him a while, but he's started to figure things out. And you look at it, and I understand, you want to give yourself the best opportunity to get the best player, the best one, two, or three player in the draft. Right now, you look at the numbers, points per game. Kyle Kuzma was drafted 27th, okay? He's averaging 16.5 points per game. John Collins was drafted 19th. He's averaging 10.7. Donovan Mitchell, who right now would probably be the rookie of the year. Donovan Mitchell for Denver, averaging 19.3 per game. Dennis Smith, draft 9th. 14.7 14.7 per contest. We know Larry Markinen, he's averaging 15 and a half points. So you can find players that are going to help you as a team later in the draft. You don't have to have the first, the second, the third guy. Just look at it. Uh, Markinen, the seventh pick, okay? The Bulls didn't have the first pick or the second or the third or the fourth, but of the top five guys, top seven guys, heck, of the top 12 guys, Markin has got the best average right now of 15.5. You have Markel Fultz, who I know has been hurt. He's only played four games. Then you have Lonzo Ball averaging 10.2. You have Jason Tatum averaging 13.8, playing well for Boston. And again, it's Boston, so he's probably, you know, they're, they're, uh, they've got a very good team. Josh Jackson with 9.8 average. De'Aaron Fox for Sacramento averaging 10.3. Jonathan Isaac for Orlando, 5.3. Um, uh, Tilakina from the Knicks, uh, just 5.3 points per game. And then you get down to Dennis Smith, uh, with Dallas, averaging 14.7. So you can get other, you can get players that are going to help your team later in the draft. I understand, again, I understand how you wanted to give yourself the best opportunity to get the best player available in the draft, but you never know. You can grab a guy that's first or second or third and they don't always work out. So what's happening with the Bulls right now? Here's what I would do. 312-332-3776. Do you agree or disagree? What I would do is I might trade Miritich. I would probably keep Lopez and just play it out. See what happens. See where you finish. Let them play. Let them play hard. See if they can get to the postseason. If they don't, you get a draft pick and you improve from there. That's what I would do. Some people would say, well, you're not being aggressive enough. You're not, you, you got to take a stance. There's nothing worse than being in the middle. I understand that. But now you're at a point where you're almost halfway through the season. Um, let's see, the Bulls have played 43 games. So you're at a point right now where you've already, you, you've gotten to the point where you probably aren't going to be able to tank. Okay. You saw Atlanta yesterday. They're really bad. So just go for it. Go on out, send the guys out there, let them play. And go from there and see what happens. 312-332-3776. Don't forget some soccer talk. That's right, soccer talk. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk with Paul Tenorio, what the Chicago Fire have been busy doing. It's been a very, very busy off-season for the Chicago Fire. We'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour around 1030 after the Sports Center update. But uh, the Bulls are in a situation now where, you know, even on the road, you figure, well, they get away from uh, the United Center, they're not going to be able to win. Well, they play at Atlanta. And uh, they won, okay, rather easily. We saw how bad Atlanta is. And uh, the Bulls now with a couple more road games, back-to-back road games. They're still going to be without Chris Dunn for a little while. And um, 
Now that's going to give an opportunity for Zach Levine to play the point guard position. Is going to give an opportunity for Jerry and Grant to do even more. So I think what you're able to see is what this team is going to be able to do. What this team's going to be able to, uh, figure out and how they're going to be able to play down the stretch. Uh, let's see if we can get another couple of callers in here talking some Bulls basketball. I wanted to talk Blackhawks too, but we'll probably get to that a little bit later on. There's not much to say. The Hawks were 7-3 losers. This, a loss after five days off when they lost to Detroit. They look bad doing it. The only upside, Patrick Kane, two goals and an assist. Kane becomes the, um, fifth Blackhawk to reach the 800 career point total as uh, he had a couple of goals last night he joins Larmer, Savard Bobby Hull and Stan Makita pretty darn good stuff Hey Fred, I have a thought on that uh, Bulls topic yeah. there that we were talking and and I hear your thought on how the Bulls have been playing lately and obviously they're, they're playing finally under this Hoiberg offense Right. my only thought is if this team wants to compete for the many years to come, because I mean, that's ultimately what you're building a team for. Right. Not just to win one championship or just tar- or try. Oh, the old, the old Theo, one. the old Theo phrase, sustained success is Correct. what you're looking for, right? I look at this team now and you see a little success here and there, but this team ultimately isn't built to win for the long run. And then you have teams like the Warriors who are still young. They still have a, a very strong team. You have the teams like the Rockets who have, you know, Chris Paul, James Harden. It's just this league has shaped out more to be more of a star powered league. So if your team isn't built and as we've seen in the many years, we can't attract many free agents. So we have to build some type of good foundation and we're at a good start. I mean, you got players like Zach Levine, Levine, Dunn, Markinen, Markinen. You have a lot of those players, but I still feel that you're still that one or two player away from then attracting that free agent to come here and staying in that realm so you can compete for the many years to come. Well, yeah. And and we've seen that free agents don't usually come here. They haven't come here. And, and you brought up the point and there's like four or five teams in the NBA where all the free agents go. And I think that's a bad thing for the league. You know, and people get all excited. Oh, it's, it's Houston. They get excited for Houston and Golden State and maybe still San Antonio a little bit and Boston and Cleveland. Other than that, what are you doing? And what's crazy to see is that the Warriors and the Rockets, you see the tempo of basketball that they play and the, a lot of that small ball action. Yeah. Bulls have been playing a lot of that lately, sure they have. and they've been playing very up tempo. I mean, even the game the other day against the Warriors was very intriguing to watch from any other year, just for the very fact that hey, this team is playing with a huge up tempo, and it makes it much more fun to watch. So yeah. it, it's cool to see that. But I, I personally think we do need another star player and maybe draft a stud. And it's hard, it's hard to bank on that. I mean, you can get it in the first pick. Like you said, you know, Kyle Kuzma, I think was like the 26th, 27th pick pick in the draft. 27th pick of the draft. I mean, it's so hard. The NBA draft is such a crapshoot. Yeah. It's so hard to find a good player. Especially these these guys are coming out after one year in college. We'll get back to some Bulls conversation in a little while. We come back. It's uh, soccer talk, Chicago fire. They had their draft. We'll talk with Paul Tenorio right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. We'll get back to some football talk. Um, the AFC and NFC Championship Games, 11, a little after 11. We'll have Arthur Arkus from Pro Football Weekly take a look at the two games. But uh, the Chicago Fire and Major League Soccer had their draft the other day and 
Lots of things happening for the fire, including General Manager Nelson Rodriguez moving David Akam to uh, Philadelphia, and Rodriguez talked about it. There's an element of risk to the trade. Uh, David is uh, an accomplished and quality player uh, who's still uh, in the prime of his career. But we set out to build a championship program. Uh, we believe in in what's required to fulfill that. Uh, we think the next evolution of what we're trying to build uh, required a bold move. This, these assets that we've acquired give us an opportunity to accelerate towards our goal. Um, but as I said, you know that production won't be easy to replace. Um, but. We've, we did what we felt was necessary. And that was Nelson Rodriguez, the uh, GM of the Chicago Fire. We talked some uh, Chicago Fire soccer news with my guy, national soccer writer. He sat on the couch next to me for Chicago Fire Weekly, Paul Tenorio. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing well, Fred. Thanks for having me on. You know, um, Nelson Rodriguez must love the draft more than anybody. I mean, he just it seems like that's his time. It's, I don't know if you were there. Is, is he like just holding camp? Is he the one guy moving from table to table looking to make moves? No doubt. You can tell that uh, that Nelson has really loved the whole draft process. He's, I don't know, he, he, he gets, I think, fascinated by, by the ability to make trades in those um, kind of moments when you're on the clock, a team's on the clock, there's a player that you like, you, you're going to move up for him. You can see how much he enjoys doing it. The Fire have been active all three drafts under Nelson Rodriguez. And, yeah, you know, I, I picked the perfect seat in the house. I know where I'll be sitting next year at the draft in Chicago. It'll be right near the Chicago Fire table because there was a flurry of activity all day long at that table. Um, they moved around twice in the draft to, to move up into the first round to get the players they wanted and then obviously made another huge trade as well so uh it was it was very active in and around the chicago fire table were you surprised of the trade for a because i mean here's a guy that led them in scoring in 15 and in 16 and then in 17 he was second only to nemanja nikolic a guy that they picked up it was an option they picked up on him right this this uh just recently and i think that that surprised a lot of fans that they picked that up and then were able to move him yeah, I think it was it was surprising and it wasn't surprising, if, if that makes sense. Look, I, I think David Akam, for me, has been uh, and is one of the better players in the league. He's incredibly dangerous. He changes the way teams have to play against you, and that was very, very true for the Fire even last season. When David Akam was on the field, teams had to play a deeper defensive line to respect his speed and ability, and that opened things up for other players around him. So it's always surprising when you see a team make a move. And yeah, um, you know, not only did they pick up his option, but... According to my reporting, um, they had worked uh, up to the point of, of a new contract with David Akam, and um, you know Philadelphia confirmed as much, saying that he's under uh, he'll be under team control for multiple years. So clearly, a, a deal was done, a long term extension was done. Um, so it's, it, it is surprising in that sense. Um, I do feel like though the, the fire never really felt the fire coaching staff never really felt David was a fit for how they wanted to play. Um, they've been trying to get players like Dax McCarty, Bastian Schweinsteiger who can play and keep the ball a little bit more. You know, David's strengths were in uh, his speed, his counterattacking ability, his, his one-on-one ability, not as much in possession soccer. And I think um, there was always kind of a disconnect there and, and, and maybe a, a feeling that they couldn't quite transition all the way to that style as long as they had David on the field because you have to take advantage of his strengths if he's on the field for you. Um, you know, The big question here is, does it make the fire better? 
not yet. They have to go do something with the money they got in this trade. Yeah, and they have nothing but money. I know that you asked the question, I think, of him afterwards, and they've got some targets, right? They're not, they've got some guys in mind that they're looking for, and uh, hopefully something would happen soon, I would think. Absolutely right. I mean, speaking, first of all, speaking to GMs around the league and, and watching reactions as the, uh, as the news came out, you know, they felt like this was a really uh, a decent trade for Chicago in the sense that it, it gave them a good amount of money to work with, a lot of targeted allocation money and, some, and, a, and a decent chunk of general allocation money as well to uh, be able to manipulate the budget. Um, and so they're, they're going to have some cash to go spend. And yes, Nelson Rodriguez says the team has three different international targets. They could realistically bring in two of those three players. And they've also approached several teams uh, during the Combine Week down in Florida about potential trades within the league. Now, those trades didn't go down in Florida. That doesn't mean that those trades aren't going to happen uh, later in this offseason. Uh, you know, obviously, I'll be doing some digging, trying to figure out who those players are. I've heard a couple rumors here and there. Um, but, you know, there is some quality talent out there on the trade market. You know, players like... Uh, Lee Wynn in New England, who's requested a trade. New England said they're not going to move him. Could he be a fit in Chicago? Uh, we've seen a lot of different names connected to this team, and, and that's going to be the critical part of this trade. We can't judge it until we see what they do with that money. Well, you know, Matt Lampson, the keeper for the Chicago Fire, it took him a while to get into the uh, starting lineup. He got there. He was there all year last year. The Fire going back to the playoffs for the first time since 2012. Did that move surprise you? He goes off to Minnesota in exchange for in, in the uh, trade. Well, I think it makes some sense in, in that, they, you know, the Fire brought Richard Sanchez back, and I think they see him as a guy that can be the starter for this team. So, you know, I think Matt Lampson also has the desire to be a starter Minnesota looked at him as a player who could push uh, Bobby Shuttleworth in Minnesota and push for that starting job there, um, and, and they really wanted him as a part of that trade package. You know, Now I think the Fire have talked about wanting to add competition to the position. My guess is that they're going to go get a, a veteran goalkeeper um, who is comfortable uh, being a backup um, and, and yet is also insurance if, if Sanchez uh, doesn't play well or gets injured. Um, and that also allows them to send the young Stephen Cleveland on loan to go get minutes, which is critical for any young goalkeeper. Um, they've been connected to Iker Casillas, um, the, the Spanish goalkeeper who's over in, overseas in Porto right now. I don't know that that level of deal gets done at the goalkeeper position, but it, I would imagine that they are looking for more of a veteran goalkeeper uh, who, who can be kind of a natural backup in that spot now that they uh, they need some goalkeeper depth. Paul Tenorio joining me here on ESPN 1000. You can read Paul's article about the uh, fire trade over at ESPNFC.com. And uh, you mentioned, Casillas, do you think that one of the three um, veteran, former, or I'm sorry, one of the three veteran, one of the three foreign players that Nelson Rodriguez might be looking at might be a keeper, or, or do you think they're all position players? Oh, I'm sorry, he did no, say he, he did he say they weren't, right? three were attacking players. Yeah. yeah, he said the three were attacking players. We know one of them. Uh, Juan, Juan, Fernando, uh, Juan Fernando Quintero, uh, a Colombian attacking player. He can play as a number 10. He can play out on the wing. Um, we, we do know that they've been in talks trying to complete that trade with Porto uh, for his services. There are also a number of reports out of Argentina that uh, Porto is kneeling, nearing a deal with River Plate to send Quintero to River Plate in Argentina and not to Chicago Fire. Um, th- neither Those deals aren't done yet, um, but it does sound like maybe the Fire are going to miss out on Quintero for the second year in a row. Um, the other two international players, we don't know uh, who those targets are yet. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that the Fire understand that they need to bring in a winger now to replace David Akam. 
and they need to bring in a number 10 that can play underneath Nemanja Nikolic and give them uh, a guy who can take apart a defense in the final third, something they didn't really have last year. Um, you know, I mentioned Lee Wynn. Uh, could there be other players out there that, that are fit? Maybe. Um, but I would expect that the two big priorities now um, becoming left wing and number 10, and, and maybe they, they try to get by at center back, uh, which is another area they've been looking at at the left center back position. You know, they brought in a homegrown player, Grant Lillard, who's a left-footed center back. They have Christian Dean coming back, left-footed center back. Um, uh, you know, maybe the, I think the resources probably will lean towards uh, those attacking players and trying to fill those holes in the next few weeks here. Over the last couple of years, and you mentioned the draft and uh, the Chicago Fire, you look at their team, Matt Polster, uh, Jonathan Campbell, Brandon Vincent, guys that they all acquired in the draft and made moves to to get to get a couple of those guys. And that's the one thing I think that Major League Soccer, that, you know, we've had this whole thing, that, you know, the pay to play and why the U.S. didn't make it, and there's been so much soccer talk. But one thing that a lot of people want to see is when – the teams go on out and draft guys. They'd like to see them actually get on the, the pitch and start playing. And the one thing is the Chicago Fire have played their draft picks. And I think we see it with those three. What do you think about the two guys they, they moved up to get? They went into the draft with a 15th pick, made the trades, came away with 5 and 10. What are your thoughts on the two guys that they picked up? Well, I think it's harder and harder now to find depth in, in the draft, players in the draft outside of a certain few number of players. And, you know, obviously the fire had been picking near the top end of the draft and able to get a guy like Holster, I believe, at number eight mm-hmm. a few years ago. And then, uh, you know, Vincent higher up in the draft. Campbell's been a nice pick out of UNC. Uh, John Vaccaro uh, is a very intriguing prospect to me. He's the one that they moved up to five to get out of Wake Forest. He's got a great uh, lineage. His father played for Barcelona and the Spanish national team. Actually, Velko Panovic, I, I pointed out to Pano, I, I did a little research. He actually played against him one time in Spain in a preseason friendly Barcelona against Atletico Madrid. Pano told me he was just 19 years old in that game, uh, but a nice little connection there between the, the father and the son. He's a good soccer player, and, and I think that's the thing that you look for now in, in college. Can you find somebody that can actually come in and play um, knows knows the knows the game well enough to to do it at the pro level. I think that's what stands out about Bacaro. He's a guy who fits the style that that Chicago wants to play. Can definitely plug in for Nikolic when he needs time. Um, a very good finisher. We saw that at the combine and, and at Wake Forest. So um, for me, he, he's a great pick. I know a number of teams wanted to move up to get him, and Chicago were able to do so. Mo Adams, I think, will be a little bit more of a project. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who right now is very good at being what I like to call a destroyer, covers a lot of ground defensively, um, not afraid to get stuck in and make the, make the tackle, um, can be very useful in the college game when you do that. At the pro level, you still need to be very good on the ball. You need to be able to combine and play um, and, and not lose the ball. I think those are the areas where Mo Adams is going to have to really work and get better. He's got a chance to learn under some pretty good defensive midfielders in Chicago, uh, one guy who's won a World Cup. Um, but, you know, for me, I think he might be a little bit more of a, of, of a project. Um, perhaps he stands out. Uh, uh, some teams liked him. Some teams were a little bit worried about it. I think the fire were aided by the fact that Mo Adams was not at the combine because he had visa issues. I think that really significantly contributed to him sliding back to number 10 where the fire traded up and got him. So 
Um, they definitely got value out of that pick, and, and we'll see how quickly he can transition to the pro level. You know, you look, and uh, the fire have been real busy the last week or two leading up to the draft. I mean, uh, they also made sure that they had Dax McCarty here for a couple more years. They announced the re-signing of Bastian Schweinsteiger to a one-year deal. Uh, no option on that, just a one-year contract. But then they also uh, made a move, and they picked up another guy that plays a right-back position, a guy I know you're familiar with, and uh, Rafael Ramos from Orlando. City. Tell us a little bit more about this guy. Really, really talented young player. I first saw him when he came over to Orlando uh, before they moved up to MLS, actually. He played for their USL team. Um, he came over from Benfica, and he was a member of, of Portugal's under-19 and under-21 national teams. Um, incredibly talented. I, I can tell you from my own eyes watching them train, he had the best first touch on Orlando City's team, and that includes Kaká very rarely makes a bad touch on the field. Very technical player. Um, very good going forward. Uh, if they play, if they go back into that 3-5-2 formation that Velko Panovic likes to play, um, he's very useful going forward. The, the negatives on Rafa Ramos, he's had a lot of hamstring injuries, wasn't able to stay healthy last season at all, lost his starting job because of that. Um, you know, also has, you know, his first year was known for having a bit of a bad temper on the field, picked up some stupid red cards. You know, he's a few years older now, still a young player, though. Um, he's going to push Matt Polster for a starting job, and that's what you want uh, in a team. If you want to start contending for a championship, you look at Toronto, you look at the deeper teams in this league, you want competition at your positions. It also gives the fire a little flexibility. If they have some injury issues in defense midfielder, you know, they could move Matt Polster back in if needed uh, into that central, central midfield position. But we all remember last year when Matt Polster and Brandon Vincent went down with injury, the fire were not the same team. They didn't have the depth that could sustain that level of play. I think Rafa Ramos gives them a really good option to, to give them that depth and that competition at right back. And, uh, you know, he's a player who, if he stays healthy, he has the chance to be a high-end starter in this league. Talking Chicago Fire with Paul Tenorio here on ESPN 1000. If you got a fire question, 312-332-3776. Otherwise, just sit back and listen. i got nothing but questions for Paul. Um, you mentioned Polster, and he's a guy that it looked like they found a spot for him at that right-back position. But the one thing watching him throughout the course of the year is he was very, very good at moving up on the on the attack. Do you think if, if in fact, the three five two is there, that Polster could play somewhere in the midfield? No, I think his. I think he knows, uh, and the fire knows his future is at right back. You know, one thing I'll say about Matt is, you know, when he's in central midfield, sometimes he, he looks a bit scrambled, and you know, sometimes the decision making doesn't come as easy for him at right back. Everything is in front of him. He's got the sideline on the outside. He doesn't need to worry about that area of the field, and it kind of slows the game down for him. And you know, I think he's a good midfielder. Um, I think he's a very good right back. He's a guy who can be in the national team picture for the U.S. at right back. Um, he's there at January camp right now, along with Brandon Vincent with the U.S. national team, trying to prove that he can play at that international level. Um, the in- interesting thing to watch with Matt Polster going into this year, and maybe one of the reasons why you also bring in a guy like Rafa Ramos to push at that right back spot, is Matt Polster is going into the final year of his contract Um so, you know, they're going to have to make a decision about Polster. He may want to pursue things overseas. There are some decisions that are going to have to be made here with Matt Polster. Um, and, and so you want to provide yourself a little bit of insurance, right, with Rafa Ramos. That being said, I think if Matt Polster plays at the level he played last year, he's not giving up that starting job. Uh, he was very, very good for the fire when he was healthy last season. I think he's proved that he can be 
one of the better right backs in all of MLS. And if he continues to improve now going into a second season at that position, he does have a legitimate chance to be a national team player at that position and maybe push uh, DeAndre Yedlin for, for the job with the U.S. Uh, about a week or so ago, the Chicago Fire made the announcement that they had signed a homegrown contract, and you had mentioned it with Grant Lillard from Indiana. And I immediately texted uh, my guy, Michael Wiggins. He is the head soccer coach at Hinsdale Central High School, where Grant Lillard went but never played for the the high school team because he was always playing club soccer and the first thing I did was I asked uh, Coach Wiggins I said am I supposed to congratulate you and he got back to me he said he wouldn't play for me so Grant Lillard's a you know, big guy 6'4 played at Indiana did you get a chance to call any of his games because I know you were doing some stuff in the Big Ten Network and what can fans expect from this kid I did call some games uh, you know look this is what you're going to know about Grant Lillard. First of all, he is very good on set pieces attacking-wise. That's something that Fire really lacked last season. He is a goal-scoring threat in the box because of his size and ability to win headers. Um, what I think is most important, though, for his pro prospects is a lot of teams went into this year not sure if Grant Lillard was going to be uh, good enough technically to play in MLS. Um, by the end of this season, from every scout I talked to, they felt he had taken a massive step forward in that area. Um, they really thought he improved as a soccer player. And I think he has a chance to um, probably, if he had been in the draft, I think he would have been a hands-down top two or top three pick, maybe even gone number one overall as Joao Moutinho did the left back out, or the left center back out of Akron um, because he's pro-ready. I think a lot of teams feel like he could step in and play from day one. And, you know, the fire may need him to do just that. There's going to be a competition at that spot. Uh, between Grant Lillard, Christian Dean, and Jonathan Campbell to start next to Johan Kapilov. Um, this is a kid who, who uh, a really good character guy. I think they really liked uh, his approach. He wants to be with the fire, obviously, grew up in their academy, and um, you know he's going to have a chance to, to win a job right right from the jump. So uh, he'll have every, every opportunity to be um, you know maybe one of the, the top homegrowns um, that we've seen come along uh, since, since Harry Ship's rookie season. We got a couple of questions for you. a couple of people calling in. Let's take a grab a call or two. We go to Michigan City and uh, Cedro. You're on ESPN 1000 with Paul Tenorio. Hey, how you doing, Paul? I got to say, first of all, it's refreshing to hear some Chicago Fire talking on the radio. Um, you got a question. Do you think with the selling of uh, David Akam that we got a chance to land Quintero before the uh, uh, before the transfer window closes? Uh, thanks, guys. I hang up and listen. Uh, thanks for calling in. I think absolutely if you're the fire, you're making a sale like that with the understanding that you have to really push uh, to to go and buy a player, whether it's Quintero or one of the other two targets. Uh, the fire cannot sit back and, and, and be reactive. At this point now, they have to maintain that aggressive, the aggressiveness they showed in being willing to trade David Akam. Will it be Quintero? I don't know. Porto has been kind of difficult to deal with on this transfer they've demanded a ton of money for a player who's not in the picture for them anymore um you know the other problem here is that the world cup is this summer quintero's trying to put himself back into the picture with columbia if if river plate really does become involved in a true player in this in this transfer uh he probably would feel like columbia would give him more of a shot to play at the world cup if he's starring in the argentinian league for one of the biggest clubs in the world in river plate um, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But I, I think that absolutely trading David, bringing all that money in is a, is a sign and an indicator that the fire are going to be very aggressive here uh, in this January window as it, as it gets um, near the end here to make some trades and make some signings um, because they, they need some reinforcements. And 
Uh, they need to even complete the starting lineup, let alone depth. You know, what is this World Cup you speak of? I don't know. I don't know. U.S. fans don't know this. I know that you'll be following Costa Rica closely, but what is this World Cup? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not not as much uh, fun for U.S. fans this time around, but it is just around the corner, and that obviously has implications in just about every transfer sure. uh, that is being talked about in this January window for players that are trying to fight into the picture for teams that are going to the World Cup. Uh, you know, we see it a lot with Mexico, too, and Jonathan Gonzalez, the U.S. losing him to Mexico. You know, the World Cup certainly factored into that. He has a chance to go with Mexico. He wouldn't have a chance to go with the U.S. One more quick call before we let you go. Frank in Highland Park. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Frank. Hey, great to hear some fire talk on the radio. My question is also about how to replace David Akam. Um, I was wondering what the plan was to do that, and if the fire are willing to spend the money, I'm a Roma fan. You can, I'd be more than happy to send uh, Zeko over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be fine. We'd love him. Yeah, I think that would uh, that, that's probably not in the plan, probably not in the price range that uh, the fire looking for. But you have to go spend money to replace David Akam. You, you can't uh, expect to replace him with a rookie uh, coming out of the draft. You can't really replace him, I don't think, with somebody within the league. Very few wingers that are available in the trade market inside of MLS um, that can do what David does and, and, and bring that, that level of play. Um, I think both. I think more even than the number 10 position, I think you'll have to look to the international market um, to bring in that left winger. Maybe you can find uh, a left winger who's a little bit more of a possession player. But if you do that, you need to find a really, really strong number 10, a game-changing player, an Ignacio Piatti, Diego Valeri type of player who can come in, be an MVP caliber um, you know, central midfielder, attacking midfielder, and that changes the way you play soccer. If you're the fire, it puts an emphasis on that number 10 spot. But you're going to have to go spend on at least one of those two positions. I think they're going to spend on both. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know, from my perspective, if you go and spend a lot of that TAM that you acquired to go trade for Lee Wynn, and then you go spend millions on Quintero or a left winger, that's one way for it to work. Could you make a trade within the league or go to a market like Mexico or Costa Rica, find a player that's a TAM-level left winger, and then bring in a DP number 10. I think that's another option that the fire could look at. Um, I think that they're going to be aggressive in that market. They've got a lot of targeted allocation money to play with now. They've got the cap space to make this work. They've got the DP spot open. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to finish DP transfers, right? Those involve a lot of negotiations between teams and between the team and the player. Uh, so there's a lot that's left to do for the fire. Um, but I think they're going to be very aggressive, and I think they know going into this season, you know, they need to make at least one move before this January window closes, and they need that move to be a game-changing type player um, because it's not going to be easy the first half of the season. I think it would be really tough for the Fire to wait until July uh, to pull the trigger on one or two big moves. They're going to have to get something done here in the January window. And you want to keep up with the latest on soccer, follow Paul at Paul Tenorio on Twitter. Paul, thanks as always. We'll talk to you soon. Practices start this week. Awesome. Sounds good, Fred. Thanks so much for having me on. I always enjoy talking about the fire. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks a lot. Paul Tenorio joining me here on ESPN 1000. We come back, top of the hour. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, football playoffs. That's right, two games coming up today, AFC, NFC. Arthur Arcus joins us in just a little bit from Pro Football Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Wow, I'm easy. 
This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Welcome back in. Fred Huebner with you. So far today, we've talked about the conference championship games. We've talked about baseball, the pace of play, and the lack of free agent signings. We talked about John Heyman's article about uh, Bryce Harper to the Cubs, hardly a sure thing. We discussed uh, what Kendall Gill had to say about the cu- the Cubs, the Bulls tanking, and uh, probably not at this point when they are just five and a half games back of the uh, final playoff spot. Talked for a moment about the Blackhawks and the miserable showing last night, a 7-3 loss. We talked with Paul Tenorio, national soccer writer, about the Chicago Fire after their uh, draft day and uh, moving and David Akam and a lot of other things. We're going to get into how fans deal with teams tanking around 11.30. We'll talk more about that, but let's get back into the uh, conference championship games. Two games coming up today as we have uh, Jacksonville and New England. And when you talk Patriots, you always talk Gronk, and he knows he's going to have his hands full today. That's a big challenge. They got very talented players on both sides of the ball, especially on the defense. They got many, many great players, and it's going to be a big challenge. Uh, It's the best team we're facing all year. They're coming up in the AFC Championship game this weekend, so we got to be ready, we got to be prepared, and it's going to be a big, tough challenge for sure. Uh, no, you're just never comfortable like that. I mean, you got to put all the work in. You got to do everything that we have been doing all year, uh, practicing hard, focusing, preparing like we have been all year, uh, every single week. Uh, but no, there's no comfort level. You got to put the work in. You got to keep working hard. You got to study hard, and we got to come out and play hard. Gronk has been like the go-to guy after each of the games uh, in the playoffs. It's like he's the representative. He stands there and talks and answers all the questions and does it very, very well. And he's uh, very, very well-spoken and well-thought-out uh, concepts and ideas and uh, very, very interesting. Um, so much better than listening to anything Bill Belichick has to say. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, God, boring as can be. Great coach. Just, I don't want to hear from him. He's not going to tell me anything, ever. Um, and no one's going to tell you anything about Tom Brady. We do know that Tom Brady's playing. Uh, we do know that uh, when he walked into the arena, he kept his hand in his pocket, his right hand, so people were not able to get it on camera. And, uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll talk more about the AFC and the NFC Championship games and who better to talk about it with than Arthur Arcus from Pro Football Weekly. Arthur, how are you today? Fred, what's happening? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, unless Tom Brady's thumb was taken off completely and he had no way to grip the ball, was there ever any doubt in your mind that Tom Brady was going to be ready to play and, who knows, probably pl- throw for 300 yards today? <laughs> I'll tell you, even if uh, Brady's thumb was actually removed, <laughs> I still would have no doubt in my mind that he'd be playing today because he's that type of competitor. Um Look, it's uh, it's a 24-hour news cycle, obviously, and it never ends. So, uh, yes, we are all going to uh, make a big deal about Tom Brady showing up to his press conference wearing gloves on both hands and having his hands in his pockets when he showed up to uh, Foxborough or to Gillette this morning. So, uh, no, I never had any doubts. I'd expect him to play well, but it is certainly something uh, to watch, just knowing you know how much the Patriots lean on him and, and how many things he tends to cover up. Uh, we'll see if this is a case where maybe other parts of the Patriots team may have to kind of cover for him, not unlike what we saw with Blake Bortles last week after the defense carried the Jaguars all year, it was Bortles making big-time throws in the second half uh, to get the Jaguars here. 
Listen, last week, at Tom Brady, 337 yards, three scores. Danny Amendola with 11 catches for 112 yards. But this is a different defense. This isn't the Tennessee Titans they're facing today. Jacksonville's going to bring it. What are your thoughts about the way they're going to try and slow down Tom Brady and the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, we've seen um, other teams have success. Certainly the Broncos in that AFC title game uh, a couple years ago is the first that kind of comes to mind. They were able to bring pressure both from inside and off the edges. So um, we all know that anytime you can try and get pressure, but not by blitzing, of course, because Brady's just going to absolutely crush that all day. So uh, the ability to, to get pressure without bringing extra guys is, is going to be the key. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, I'm very intrigued to see how the Jaguars are going to try and cover Rob Gronkowski because I don't think there's a lot of guys uh, out on the edges that are going to concern you that much in New England. Yes, Brandon Cooks for sure. Uh, but after that, I don't know that you're going to be super concerned. And obviously the Jaguars have a pair of all-pro corners, the best uh, pair of boundary corners in the NFL, and a really good one inside, too. So uh, they got to get pressure with, with guys like uh, Fowler and, and Jackson inside and Calais Campbell. And uh, there's a kid from Maryland who's outstanding, who every time I try and pronounce his name, I sound like an idiot, so I'm not going to. <laughs> and then I, I just can't wait to see if they will. Todd Wash, the defensive coordinator, said he's not going to try and match up Gronk with one of those corners. Um, he said he didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Those are his words. But I think if there's any player in football that's worth trying to do it for, frankly, if there are two players, it might be Gronk on Jalen Ramsey. I'm selfishly wanting that matchup. Uh, and even though he said we're not going to get it, I'm not so sure that in certain situations down by the red zone, we don't see that today. Well, I was just going to ask you that. I mean, if you're at midfield, I don't know that putting Jalen Ramsey on Gronk makes sense. But anytime you get anywhere near the red zone, I would think that, you know, you've got to put your best uh, defender and, uh, you know, let, let other people worry about James White and Danny Amendola and Deion Lewis and everybody else. I think so too. The Jaguars safeties are banged up as well. And, and Barry Church and, and Tayshawn Gibson, Tayshawn Gibson. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, everyone talks about Boye and Ramsey, but Aaron Colvin's really good inside too. And he's going to be a big part of this thing versus Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola. Um, you know, those Jaguars linebackers probably have as much speed as any group in the NFL. And, uh, we know how much the Patriots have leaned on guys like James White and Deion Lewis and, uh, and Rex Burkhead if he's healthy in the passing game. So a lot of really good individual matchups on that side. Uh, and then as far as the Jaguars offensively are concerned, it's, you know, there's, there's no secret. How many times can they give the ball to Leonard Fournette? And, uh, how many times can the, you know, the Patriots try and, uh, set hard edges and, and slow him from taking over the game? You know, you mentioned Rex Burkhead. I would not be surprised when he strolls out of the field, he gets booed after he runs into Tom Brady and hurts his thumb. <laughs> yeah, it could be. He's, yeah. he's been real good for him this season when he's been on the field, but that is a good point. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating for sure. I guess the thing to look for, obviously, I know we've been making jokes about it the past couple of days, but uh, Brady doesn't like to wear a glove on the throwing hand. So I think the conditions um, in Foxborough are going to play a hand, and then obviously you know the stitches or whatever injury he's dealing with too. Uh, but if there's something that actually matters that we'll keep an eye on here in a couple hours, I think that's probably it. You mentioned Leonard Fournette, and last week I was so disappointed in Derrick Henry. I don't know what was wrong with him. He seemed like he was running scared. He had 28 yards on 12 carries against the Patriots. And I know the Patriots can play a nice run defense, but not that nice. I mean, do you expect Fournette? I mean, a guy who, when he played his first game this year, said this is easy. You know, the SEC was tougher. Do you expect a guy like Fournette just to take it to the, the Patriots? Do you expect him to have a decent game? Despite the fact that he went out last week with an injury, I thought we'd never see him again again and there he was in the second half making big runs 
Yeah, that was a gutsy effort for sure, and, and I'll echo your sentiment. I was uh, disappointed, too, with Derrick Henry. Obviously, he was just a monster in the second half to uh, help the Titans in that comeback over the Chiefs, but you know, couldn't do it again. If there's any knock on him, he still gets a little cute behind the line of scrimmage, and um, the Patriots give him credit. You know, Bringing in James Harrison clearly has made a difference. They have had some other guys there, and it looked like they were kind of switching things up uh, on the fly versus the Titans to make sure, uh, first and foremost, that Henry didn't beat them, but uh, the good news with Fournette, I, I want to say, I, I read this morning, he actually has been removed altogether from the injury report. So that would be awesome. Uh, the ankle issues have actually followed him since his time at LSU. So that was concerning when we saw it uh, last week, but he was able to kind of gut through it. Um, yeah, I'd, ex- I'd expect him to play well for sure, but I think the key is to, uh, you know, Belichick is too good. The, the Patriots defense is too good if it's going to be just a one-dimensional offense. So, um, again, I don't, you know, I, I know we love to kind of rip on him and have fun with him, but Bortles was really good in the second half last week on third down at one point completed four or five in a row and they absolutely needed them it was uh set up by the play action and what Fournette was able to do in the first half and um i think that's going to be huge again but i do i expect Fournette to play well and uh actually i think Bortles is going to play well too i think this is going to be a low scoring close game that's kind of how i anticipate both of them playing out today yeah, I mean, how surprised were you with Bortles? I mean, because the game before that, every time he threw the ball, he looked hesitant. He didn't look like he was confident in anything he did. And right. last week, it was complete opposite. Yeah, it was uh, a little surprising. And credit the Jaguars uh, coaches for kind of trying to get him in the groove early, that first aggressive drive where they marched right down the field on Pittsburgh. And obviously it helps when you're able to, able to build a 21-0 lead, a couple big Ben turnovers the Jaguars capitalize on. So, uh, I don't really expect that to happen today with Brady, regardless of how his hand is. So, um, but yeah, the key is just getting Bortles to play with confidence and, and making sure it's balanced. And, uh, frankly, the offensive line too, probably another area we didn't talk about enough last week because, um, you don't see the Steelers kind of get punched in the mouth up front the way they did, in my opinion, by the Jaguars. So that was kind of a, a lesser told story that certainly, uh, a matchup the Jaguars need to win again today. And frankly, one that shouldn't be quite as imposing because Pittsburgh, uh, a lot better up front, in my estimation, than New England. Uh, so curious to see how the Patriots are able to kind of generate pressure and try and rattle Bortles a little bit. Arthur Arkus, your Pro Football Weekly, joining us here on ESPN 1000. Fred Huebner with you till 12 noon. We'll talk about the NFC Championship game in a second. But right now, if you want to get a four-pack of tickets for the Progressive Insurance Chicagoland Fishing Travel and Outdoor Expo taking place at the Schomburg Convention Center January 25th through the 28th, be the first and second callers. You'll get a four-pack of tickets, 312-332-3776. For more information and details, go to sportsshows.com. Looking at the NFC game, you've got a couple of quarterbacks who played together. They were both in St. Louis uh, when the Rams were really bad. Uh, <laughs> Foles and Keenum. Now, you know nobody. If you, you, know, you could not have predicted this at the beginning of the season. If Pro Football Weekly would have said Foles and Keenum will be in the NFC Championship game, first of all, you'd say, you know, what are you smoking? And then, second of all, you'd say, how could that possibly happen? Well, you look at it, and these two guys that are both there. Keenum's been there all year long, doing a great job. Nick Foles. He did a decent job. He did what he had to do last week. What are your thoughts on, on this game going in with these two guys? Yeah, you know, Fred, it's kind of funny. Everyone, uh, of course, the, the whole Minneapolis miracle and, and the clutch play from Keenum to Diggs, and it was awesome. It's, uh, you know, one of the best finishes in place in playoff history. And now that being said, and, and that sort of, that 61 yard touchdown obviously kind of, you know, fluffing up Keenum's numbers a little bit. 
I thought Foles played better than Keenum last week. I really did. He was uh, the more precise passer. I think he finished 23 of 30. There were very few uh, mistakes by him, and, and, and he did exactly what the Eagles asked of him. So that's not taking anything away from Keenum, but he did have the interception in the second half that kind of let the Saints back into things a little bit. And uh, I thought at, at times he was putting almost a little bit too much faith in Diggs and Thielen uh, in the fourth quarter there with some of those 50-50 balls. So, um, but that's kind of, you know, that's sort of picking that both guys played well enough and have done enough to get them here. Uh, I think the difference today potentially will be uh, Keenum's ability to kind of navigate the pocket a little bit better, not a little bit better, actually, you know, markedly better than Nick Foles can. These are two really good pass rushes, but I think we've seen more creativity uh, more awareness from Keenum throughout the season to avoid trouble, uh, and that's going to be huge today against guys like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. Uh, on the other side, you know, if the left tackle, uh, Big V, second-year dude, another guy whose name I can't pronounce, re- replaced the Hall of Famer in Jason Peters, he's done a nice job, but he hasn't had a lot of challenges like he's going to get today in Everson Griffin. So if that's a one-sided matchup, I think it could be problematic. Uh, for Foles, but if they hold up, then I think both quarterbacks should be just fine. You know, you talked right there about uh, Diggs and Thielen, and uh, Thielen's got a lower back. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. They said limited yesterday. Now, they said he'll play, but, you know, they don't have a lot of wide receiver weapons on that uh, Vikings team. I mean, Laquan Treadwell, not what they had hoped him to be. Uh, obviously, right. Stefan Diggs getting all the pub after the, the great catch and run last week for the 61-yard uh, touchdown at the end. Kyle Rudolph right. at the tight end position. But if Thielen can't play that much, th- I mean, they're going to have to rely a lot on Latavius Murray today. Do you think that's the way they're going to approach the game to start with? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they're going to try and certainly commit to the run. Pat Shermer has done that consistently, maybe not quite as uh, consistently, quite as persistently last week as we saw with Doug Peterson and the Eagles, who had, I think, 32 carries, not a real good efficiency, but they definitely stuck with it. Um, the Eagles had the best run defense in football. I mean, they're, they're, they're almost impossible to run on right up the middle with Fletcher Cox, with, uh, you know, Kendricks and, and those guys behind them, and very strong up the middle of that defense. So, while I expect them to try and use the Vikings, that is Latavius Murray and certainly Jarek McKinnon too, um, I suspect it is going to come down to, to Keenum having to throw it around a little bit and attack the Eagles secondary. I think that's the potential weakness in what's a really good defense. So, uh, an astute point by you. It'll be we'll have to wait and see how Adam Thielen looks because he was huge. I know it was the, the final touchdown went to Diggs, but right. uh, there were a couple circus catches from Adam Thielen on Marsh on Lattimore, someone that. No one's been doing work against all season. So uh, you're right. His health will be huge. I guess one name that maybe the listeners wouldn't be quite as familiar with to keep an eye on potentially, depending on Thielen's situation, or maybe even regardless, is Jarius Wright. He had a big catch on third down last week. Um, he's a guy who was, you know, a bigger part of a bigger, more prominent role a couple years ago, but uh, can still come up with some timely catches. And then, like you 